When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 9th, the Choosing My Religion edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another show. It's called The Best Advice Show, and I live in Detroit with my family. My daughter, Noah, is five and a half, and my son, Ami, is two and a half. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who will be 10 at the end of this month, and we live in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting with a round of triumphs and fails. Then we've got a question about a preteen who is brought up in a Christian family and is interested in converting to Islam. Her parents are supportive, but are hung up on whether to allow her to wear a headscarf to school without being born or raised in that faith. Then, if you're sticking around for Slate Plus, we're going to be talking about the Dadfluencer documentary that's tearing Sweden apart from the inside. Here's what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. The documentary about these Dadfluencers, Three Dads, has, like, completely polarized the nation. Like, they're having meetings and panel discussions. There was a live debate last November uh, where dozens of participants and hundreds of audience members reflected on whether this was a quote-unquote crisis of masculinity. As a Slate Plus member, you will get a whole bonus segment from us each week, zero ads on any Slate podcast, and you get unlimited access to the Slate website. Plus, it truly is the best way to support our show. So I hope you'll join us if you can. You can sign up for Slate Plus right now at slate.com slash momanddadplus. All right, we're going to jump into triumphs and fails as soon as we get back from the short break. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. 
New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. So Jamila, what is going on with you this week? So I have a fail that's not a personal fail, but an institutional fail, if you will. And maybe it's a societal fail. Maybe we've devolved to a certain point and that's how we got here. But Naeem is dealing with what I would call like some light bullying at school. There are a couple of girls who gave her a hard time last school year. They're in the other same grade, different class. Um, I had to meet with the principal last year to talk about some really very nasty, very hurtful comments that they made to her, really inappropriate comments, too. Um, And it was the whole thing. And, you know, we haven't had any trouble with them in a while. In fact, I didn't realize that Naima had gotten, you know, kind of cool with one of them and they were following each other on social media. And it strikes back up again and they're just making mean comments to her and one of the girls gets in her face and calls her the B word and the other Mm. one accuses her of talking shit and um, just, you know, really aggressive, just mean girl behavior, you know, kind of classic mean girl behavior. And I met with the principal this morning and, and Naima as well. And we talked about, you know, a resolution and she's going to meet with the other girls. And what I really wanted to happen was the meeting between the kids and their parents. You know, I wanted this last year and I was, you know, encouraged not to pursue that. And when I brought it up again this time, the principal let me know that the school doesn't typically do this. And it's because they worry about parents getting heated and emotions running high. And so they don't like bringing parents together. That is just so different from my experiences as a student. You know, like when I was a kid, if something happened with you and another kid, there was a good chance, you know, and it escalated to a certain point that you were going to have to meet with their parents and your parent. The fact that you'd have to be accountable to this family, not just to this other kid and to your principal, but that you'd have to sit across from some other adults and explain the bullshit that you've been on. Mm -hmm. And so I'm frustrated because, you know, I can take the principal at her word when she says the girls have been disciplined or, you know, and she can't tell me the nature of the discipline because they have some privacy, you know, regulations regarding that. So basically it leaves me not super clear on how this is being resolved aside from just monitoring whether you know the girls continue to bother Naima or not but I just really wish that you know I want to talk I want to talk to these kids yeah what would you say to them to the kids I would say I don't send my daughter to school to be treated badly and the words can cut deep you know and the things that you all have said to my child have hurt her feelings really bad on a number of occasions you know if you don't like her you don't have to deal yeah. with her you don't have to talk to her but there's no reason for you to go out of your way to make her feel low you know i don't want to yell at them or scream at them or call you know or accuse them of things or talk about what kind of children they are i just want to talk to them is naima going to have to meet with them or going to meet with them like does that happen without you there that I'm not clear about. I think that what they do sometimes is a restorative justice circle. Yeah. If she, the principal chooses to do one of those, then she would. And I would like that. I probably should have, you know, I kind of was just frustrated and I didn't mention that. No, I really do want the restorative justice circle. But, you know, what we focused on today was putting together a safety plan, which is kind of like the administrator's commitment. You know, here's what she's going to do. And then, you know, what I'm going to do, which involves not confronting the parent or the child. I had to commit to that. Um, and what Naima's going to do going forward. 
How does Naimite typically convey the stuff to you? Like, does she does she want to come home and talk about it, or do you have to kind of search to to get her to open up? Well, what's interesting is that she had a really awful day yesterday, and she had an incident where another girl, who's friends with the two main girls in question, ran into her and knocked her down, and you know she got hurt. And the other girl's not taking responsibility for it. And these girls are friends with her. And so they accuse Naima of starting stuff, I guess, because maybe she told about what had happened. And, like, there was an incident with one of the girls yesterday, but there was also an incident on Friday. And Naima hadn't told me about the Friday incident, you know? So sometimes she comes home and shares these things. Sometimes she doesn't. And I think yesterday, because it was such a bad day, it was like, and this happened, and this happened, and this one said this to me, and this said, you know, this one said that to me, that she, you know, just went on and told me everything and told me about Friday. But, you know, I'd seen her this week. I saw her on Sunday, you know, she didn't say anything about it. She didn't mention it Monday morning. So, you know, she hadn't said anything to her father. So no, she doesn't always immediately report. Yeah. I'm sorry. This seems like one of the hardest things to go through as a, as a parent. Yeah. Especially because they've taken you completely out of it. Like, I mean, like you went in and right. you advocated, but they essentially told you like, okay, well, your part is done. Right. You have to trust us to do it. Yeah. And I feel like as parents, that's a very unsatisfactory answer. But I agree with you. How are we supposed to like mediate or learn anything about conflict resolution if the idea of sitting people in a room together is like too complicated? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that on the whole, we can't put parents together because they are unable to behave themselves. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what what precipitated that policy shift to say no parents in a room together there must have been some crazy Something shit that must happened have gone down clearly yeah. yeah if we're not training by letting kids watch parents do it or mm. let like having a professional yeah. help with the mediating how is that ever going to happen in relationships as adults right is there like a, a next step or like do they say they'll check in with you the safety plan is for 30 days and we're supposed to meet at the end of 30 days, but okay. I'm going to check in with her sooner than that. You know, sometimes they do these restorative justice meetings yeah. or whatever. And so I would like for them to do one of those. And, you know, of course, if Naima says that the girl says something to her, we'll be checking in sooner than that. But I figure I'd give her a week to talk with the other kids. Okay. Yeah. Please keep us posted. Will do. How about you, Elizabeth? Well, I'm taking a triumph because I met both of you. Yay. <laughs> we were all in rainy Los Angeles last week, just for folks that don't know. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about what a failure our meetup was mm-hmm. <laughs> last week. Last week, yeah. Uh, Zach and I were unprepared for the traffic. <laughs> like, I mean, I used to live while well, I lived outside of the city, but I like remember it being bad. But remembering it and experiencing it are two totally different things so then actually the next morning i was able to meet up with zach and we also were supposed to meet for coffee i put it into my gps fine drop jeff off at the conference look back at my gps what was like a 25 minute drive was now like an hour or extra 30 minutes or something i don't remember but i was like i'm gonna be really late (laughs) Um, so then we both need to go grocery shopping so we we grabbed a coffee and uh went to the trader joe's together so 
with your cute boys. With all three of my, I had all three in tow, and they were they were pretty good actually meeting both of you. You know, when I met up with Dan in DC, they were a nightmare. So I was glad that at least you saw a little bit of good behavior. They they were still themselves, which is oh, which they is were good, great. But, they were so cute and so they were sweet. So cute. The one little fail of the trip, I guess not a fail, but at the end of our flight home. We had five seats in a row on this plane. And so it was like Jeff sat with, you know, it was like kid, Jeff, kid, aisle, me, kid. And this woman congratulated Jeff on a successful flight with three children. <laughs> of course. Wow. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, <"Wow>. hello. <laughs> Jeff amazing. did do a great job. I'm not, I'm not downplaying. He sat next to Teddy, which is the hardest job, but um <laughs> it was like he wasn't alone. <laughs> But overall, a great trip, and it was bucket-filling to meet you both, so thank you. So great. It was great to meet you. Zach, how was your week? My week was great, but a bit of a fail. I don't know if it's our fault or Noah's fault or no one's fault, but sporadically, Noah, I'm not proud to say this, she's been, like, peppering moments of her day with short diatribes, which seem to come out of nowhere, where she says she's going to kill me, or she's going to kill Shira. And she does, she's not saying it, like, aggressively, like, I'm going to kill you, but it's not nice. It's Can starting... you give, like, an example? Um, yeah, how would she say it? Um, how would my daughter threaten to kill her Like, is she what mad she at do? you about something? And this is supposed to convey how mad yeah, she is? Yeah, it might be, it might be like, um, it's not like coming on the heels of something. But what would she say? <laughs> she, she'd be like, uh, I don't like you anymore. I'm going to kill you. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> Like, if we ask her to do something, which, like, often she'll be fine doing something. Yeah. Cleaning up after herself, putting her iPad away, stuff like that. It, it caught us off guard. It, it got to a point, like, one day last week where, like, it was, like, all right, too much. Like, Noah, th- we, this is not how we speak to anyone, let alone your parents. But we do not threaten violence on anyone, especially us, because we're so good to you. Mm-hmm. And it happened again and again. Yeah, Sheer and I were both upset at different times about it. Uh, We were talking about it a lot. And then we do this game in our car where um, each of us picks a song. Like, it's kind of like group DJ. Like, Noah gets a song, Ami gets a song, Sheer gets a song, then I get a song. Ami always picks a Daniel Tiger song. It's neither here nor there. And, And I don't even know why I picked this next song for my song, but I played the song called... This year, it's off the Mountain Goats album, The Sunset Tree, which I recommend as a whole, but this song in particular always gets me. And the chorus of this song goes like this. I am gonna make it through this year if it kills me. And I put it on, and then Noah hears it. She's like, wait, like, why can he say kill? Um, and I'm like, oh, this is actually like really a, a keen observation. Like... I didn't mean for it to happen like this, where we were talking about how you shouldn't say the word kill. And then he sings this song that I'm like c- clearly like emotional about and that I love. And I'm like, actually, he's not threatening violence on anyone. He is talking about resiliency and perseverance. He's talking about doing whatever he has to do to make it through this year. And she kind of got it. And you can kind of hear it in like how he sings it, that there's like this real kind of impassioned spirit to it. And so like the conversation turned to, okay, maybe... It's not that we can't say the word kill. We certainly can't threaten violence, but we're not banning this word kill. And in fact, like once she heard the song and and 
I kind of told her that like it's fine to say it in this context. She got really excited about the song, and that became like her song for the trip. Um, and she asked for it another thirty <laughs> times to the point where, like, do I even like the song anymore? Because I've, I've heard it so many song, so many times. And so we kind of reframed "Kill" unintentionally, and she hasn't done it since. Um, and I'm crossing my fingers. I doubt that she'll never say it again. I don't really know what to make of it, but it has calmed down since she has gotten really into this song by the Mountain Goats. So I'm curious where she heard it to start. I mean, me too. We had like a similar thing happen, and I think it happens when kids like discover the power of certain words. But I always try to think like they don't have any context, right? Like they don't. I mean, maybe they know people kill people, but like they don't know that people kill people. There's also the I don't like you part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which yeah. we've went through. I mean, to this day, Naima will hit me with I don't like you. I hate you. But I mean, we've always talked about, you know, particularly when she was that age and she would say that, I just think of, you know, kids don't understand that words hurt. You know, I mean, they want to hurt, you know, but they don't really understand like the true hurt of yes. like mm -hmm. somebody who loves you as much as I love you and you're frustrated with me and I can appreciate you being frustrated with me. It's okay to be frustrated with me. It's okay to be mad with me. But when you say you don't like me, that that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's take another quick break and we will be back here in a minute for our listener question. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby-winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's hear today's listener question. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My 12-year-old daughter told me last night that she believes in Allah and wants to start wearing a headscarf to school. She was very nervous to have this conversation with me and was worried that her dad and I would be disappointed in her or not accept her new beliefs. We are Christian, but do not attend church regularly. I told her that she is safe and welcome in our family, no matter what, and that we were here to support and guide her as she explores who she wants to become. She relaxed a little, so I started to probe into what I believe in Allah actually means to her. And she revealed that she was researching all this on Pinterest, and her interest was piqued when she read posts from Muslim teens living in the U.S. I don't think she has a deep understanding of what it means to be Muslim, but I do think that this is an age-appropriate search for identity and individuation. This is a long intro to my question. Should I let her wear a headscarf to school? There is very little racial, cultural, or religious diversity in our community or in the small K-8 through public school she attends. Although we live in a liberal Northern California community, I worry that her showing up one day in a headscarf would prompt a lot of uncomfortable questions at a minimum, but also runs the risk of being offensive to some and seemingly tone-deaf to others. My worry is that she's only interested in getting attention from us and from her classmates, which is a pattern, and not in wearing a headscarf to protect her modesty and preserve her dignity. I've offered to take her to a mosque or find Muslim middle schoolers to meet up with, but she wants to start with wearing a headscarf to school. Thoughts? 
I do not think you should allow your child to wear a headscarf to school. I think you've illustrated all the reasons why she has declined to go to a mosque or to meet with Muslim middle schoolers. You suspect that this is part of a pattern of behavior in which she's trying to get attention from other kids or from you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is not yet a Muslim. You know, she has not taken Shahada. She has not gone through the steps that you need to to educate yourself about the religion in order to truly embrace it and to convert. There is a process and she has not gone through that process. And so I think you all need to have some continued serious conversations about how religion is not something to play with. You know, it's very serious business. People are extremely serious about the headscarf and the reason for wearing the headscarf. And, you know, you're not there yet. And perhaps you'll arrive there. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like I can understand the appeal of wanting to wear a headscarf. You know, it's it may seem cool or novel or unique. It's something different than what other kids are doing. You know, you've seen it on Instagram or uh, Pinterest. You can continue to allow her to explore Islam, but I definitely would not allow her to jump into wearing the headscarf. Can she tell you why she would need to wear a headscarf or what it means to her, what it symbolizes to her? You know, and let her know, like the fact that you want to start with the scarf as opposed to going to a mosque, as opposed Mm -hmm. to meeting with people who are Muslim and talking about their culture says to me that you are not ready for a headscarf. That's exactly where I land, too, that this is performative to the degree in which it becomes or may become disrespectful to do the outward stuff without doing the inward work for religion, particularly, I think, if you're converting to something so you don't know all that much about it. And I think what you can say so that you don't have to be like, no, is you can explore together the meanings of the headscarf. Like that is what I I think how I would approach it is I hear that you want to wear this and I have no problem with you eventually wearing the headscarf, but you have to show up and do the work if you want to do this other thing. And I would make it much more about the religion and culture that she is asking to be a part of, right, than about her, because I think the whole point is that if she thinks it's about her, that she hasn't explored enough what mm-hmm. it actually means uh, as as part of this. I also think it's good that you educate yourself a little bit more. There are plenty of pieces out there about whether it's religiously mandated, whether it's a choice like written by Muslim women, I think that fall Uh, in all spectrums of the faith, and you can read those together or even just encourage her to write something about it. You know, I always think at this age saying like, well, come back to me with a written argument about this. She's old enough to make some of her own choices, but we don't just make choices, you know, out of the blue that they do require some some research and, and action before we do the performative part. Research beyond Pinterest, that is. Which is, I mean, I just think it's fascinating that this is where the interest emerged from Pinterest. But I was wondering, this notion of her seeking attention being a pattern, to what degree, if any, do we, you know, call our kids out on that? Like, do we tell them, like, this is, this seems to be a way for you to get attention? Do we say, this is like last month when you wanted to take, you know, all those pet snakes to school or whatever. A 12-year-old is 
uh, seems to me to be plenty old enough to kind of reflect on their own patterns. Would would you say? I think so. I think if there's a pattern of behavior, you call it out. And so you point out the other examples, you know, you don't just say, I think you're doing this to get attention. You say, you Uh know, sometimes you do things such as, you know, wanting to wear black every day or, you know, wanting to dye your hair pink, you know, and some of those decisions seem to be rooted in getting attention. And you may not realize that, you know, it may not be your goal in your mind, but this is attention-seeking behavior. Yeah. And also letting them know that, like, this is a time in which you are trying to figure out who you are, and that is Mm -hmm. great, and that is wonderful. But the way in which we do that needs to be more purposeful, right? Mm -hmm. You might want to buy her a Quran, too, because I really want to know what Allah says to you. How does Allah speak to you? I'm curious, because it really does sound like, I think if you are coming through this through Pinterest, and I know there's a lot of stuff on Pinterest, um, but this could be that you're seeing beautiful pictures of girls in scarves, and you're inspired by that, but that is not the makings of, you know, a religion. And I think you really need to talk to her about what religion is, you know, that it is something that sits at the foundation of who you are as a person, you know, and it has a lot to do with how you see the world and that she just hasn't had enough time to explore Islam to get to a point where she can say my worldview, you know, yeah. my sense of myself, my sense of creation reflect that of, of a Muslim person. Yeah. And if it's, if it's more about the clothing or the way, you know, the women on Pinterest are presenting themselves, I think there are other ways to do that that do not then become inappropriate by assuming someone's religion that you don't really believe in or have the intent to believe in. Like I, you know, uh, when I, because I kind of went on Pinterest and tried to like look up like what is she seeing? And I do think that it's a lot of like very beautiful women in headscarves. And so is she attracted to that image or that, you know, a lot of them are groups of teens enjoying something together? Like, is that what like, hey, I want to be part of this group. And this is a way to be part of this group. But I agree to be a, a conversation that figures out what about this? Because it does seem if Allah hasn't been part of the conversation, right, then you're not really talking about the religion piece of it. I mean, headscarves are pretty. They're really they're pretty. pretty and they're distinctive. And, you know, I think that is what this is 100% about for her. Like, look at me. I have on a headscarf. I've also probably made some, like, terrible assumptions about what this kid looks like. Not that I know that Muslims come in all creeds and colors and are blonde-haired and blue-eyed. But I'm definitely picturing, like, the whitest child, of course, possible. Like, somebody who's going to stand out in a headscarf. Oh, I do feel like we should say... Good job on like the initial approach. I feel like so many of us could blow it in those first moments. Yes. And it sounds like you did a great job. <laughs> you Yeah, were, I mean you're offering to take her to a mosque. You, you're you're really yes, doing you did your all part. all the right things to make her feel loved and supported in in this moment where if in fact her goal is to convert because she feels that this is the path for her, great job. Yeah, thanks for writing in and we'd love to hear any updates. Everyone else, if you have advice or questions of your own, write to us at momanddad at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at our hotline, 646-357-9318. 
That's 646-357-9318. Finally, we're still looking to hear your family food memories and the family recipes that have nourished you over the years. We have a pretty active thread now going at the Slate Parenting Facebook page, but you can also email us or better yet, just call 646-357-9318 and tell us your nourishing food story. That's it for our show. Tune in on Monday for another question and recommendations, of course. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry. Shasha Leonard voices our listener letters. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Zach Rosen. Thank you for listening. 